Welcome to this episode of The Authentic Advisor, which discusses and debates the hot topics impacting business advisors globally. My name's James Mason, and I'm joined today by MindShop's founder and chairman, Chris Mason. Uh, thanks for being part of today's podcast, Chris. My pleasure. Yeah, great to have you on board again. Um, so today, what we're going to be doing is looking at three areas that I'm looking forward to getting your thoughts on, uh, because I think you're very well placed with the hundreds of experienced advisors you coach each month. And the three that we're going to talk through today are what are the top three hot issues all advisors need to be addressing with clients in the next 12 months? I think that'll be an interesting one to cover. Uh, secondly, we're going to talk through what makes an elite business coach or advisor. And then lastly, look at how to overcome self-sabotaging behaviours uh, for you and clients. So getting into the uh, the first topic area, you know, looking around at the moment, there's so much continued uncertainty and volatility. A call I just got off was talking about that topic um, in, in all different global markets. Uh, so with that context, what are you seeing as the three hot issues that advisors need to be ensuring they're working on with clients over the next 12 months? Yeah, and, and it's interesting that the issues, uh, whilst I've thought mostly about how it applies to clients, it also applies to the advisors themselves. But my number one would be is to make sure that they're working hard on keeping their resilience up. Um, I know we're supposed to be challenging people, but you don't want to push them just too hard. You don't know what's going on behind the scenes with people. Um, what I'm picking up, there's a lot of other issues running mm. within organisations, within families, and you just don't know. You can't assume you know what's going on. And so I'm, I'm noticing that people are... If they're not breaking, they're probably not at their best at the moment. And a lot of people are starting to take breaks and, and holidays and vacation, mm. which is good because that's what you need. But that resilience uh, of just working on yourself, investing time in yourself to build up, I guess, your mental health through fitness, uh, through your reading, through positive thinking and those sorts of things is what you've got to work on. And, of course, we have uh, within our organisation uh, great assets that we can use to help people do that. Yeah. So no, I'm certainly hearing... I'm encouraging people. Yeah, that, I guess around that first point, we've certainly been hearing that as well with a lot of the... Even a call I was on yesterday um, with somebody was just talking about how it's, you know, dawned on them now that they need to be making sure they have their cake and eat it too on the way through, that, that they, you know, just running at a hamster wheel at 100 miles an hour each year... Um, whilst you might be making some really good money, people have got at risk of burning out a lot earlier than they typically would. So I think people are realising the importance, maybe in a post-COVID environment, of the importance of taking more breaks as well. And I think people are, are, are making choices at the moment where they invest their time. So um, it's important if you want to get more done that the resilience needs to be up and there's things you can do to encourage your clients to get that more robustness as well. Mm -hmm. And what would you say is the second hot issue that you're seeing with? Well, it's going to sound pretty bland, but it's all around the people issues. Um, I think if I had to pick one people issue would be around engagement because people could be at work physically but not engaged. Mm -hmm. um, they're turning off and, and you won't see it because they've become quite skilled at hiding it, particularly when they're working from home, of course. Uh, and so... If there is an engagement issue, it can easily lead to a attraction and retention issue because people are starting to think, oh, the grass looks greener. Uh, the good news about that is I'm also seeing people leaving and then within three or four months asking if they mm. can come back mm. because the grass wasn't greener. 
Mm. It was just uh, concrete painted green, perhaps. <laughs> um, so um, I think that whole people issue and actually investing some time on people rather than pure operations and probably equal time to what you'd put on a customer is important. And and just a safe rule of thumb would be do 25% more than you've been doing. And I think that's probably about the edge you need to make sure you're thinking. And, get, and read what's current best practice, talk to people, talk to people you trust. Uh, so about 25% uh, more, what are you meaning by that? Well, I think... If you, if you said, you know, an average person, I'd take me, I'm probably thinking about my clients 75% of the time and other things 25, maybe I've got to change that to 50-50. Mm-hmm. But I've got to look around me and work out how we can get our own people issues right. And this is the message I'm giving to my clients that uh, are you thinking about these things? And I'm, I'm finding ways to integrate my people ideas because I volunteer to, well, you know, you, you sent me that plan. Would you mind if I just sent you some ideas? And I've got a meeting in the morning where I put comments together two days ago about three specific plans. And it gives me an opportunity to influence but not decide. Mm-hmm. And that's what our role is. So I put in, I think, clever ideas. It'll be up to them to judge. Uh, we'll know that tomorrow. But it's all about the how-to. Because I'm seeing a lot of people are, are trying to describe what they want but that won't actually make it happen. You've got to work out the how. And so they're getting stuck. They got, they've got great plans for what, but no one knows what to do. So when it comes to the accountability or, and the implementation, it seems to just fall over. So that's what I mean with the people issue. Just spend more time on that rather than product services, sales process, whatever. Just look back and, and help your clients with their people issues because they're going to lose them Okay, so if we're not careful. So we touched on resilience, we touched on people. What would you say the third is? Well, I think for, and this applies equally to advisors as well as the clients, but I'll, I'll focus on the clients, is people need to be better leveraged. They need to create new habits. There's a lot of waste in their lives, uh, and th- and that's not just in time, it's in energy. They're, they're investing too much on things that are probably not that strategic, so they're you know, we've seen it before. They're, they're focusing on being busy because they think that's fantastic, but they're not being productive. And so we need to encourage them to focus on the strategic issues, be more leveraged, don't try any harder because you'll just uh, impact that resilience problem I talked about. But also um, think about whether we could use our technology better. I don't mean go out and buy stuff, but the stuff you've already got, can we do it better? For example, as most people know, one of my favourite uh, technologies is dictation software. And to be honest, I was—I probably got out a bit of the habit in the last few months of using that, and I'm back into it. And, and yep, I've had to f- almost retrain it again, but that didn't take long. And it, now I've got, I've got really good leverage, and it's, it's helped my resilience, and it helps me be a, a greater uh, impact and help to my clients at the same time because I can, I can get more of my message out mm. by dictation. No, good points. So they're the three things, resilience, um, pe- you know, be stronger, focus on people and be leveraged in how you do both of those things. Okay. So I mean, to tackle those, you need to be continuously building new capabilities, skills as a coach or advisor. So from your observations, what would you term makes a, an elite coach at present? Because you, you see a lot of people that are, you know, done all the courses, um, you know, on paper have the skills, but... I've certainly seen a lot of intangibles coming into these, what I'd term elite 
coaches or advisors at, at present. So what, what are some of those um, elements that you see makes up a great, great operator? Well, I think it's pretty an easy list. Now, my list, because you gave me a heads up that you're going to ask that question, that I came up with six and how I got them was to think about who some of the best coaches that I've, I see and, and uh, uh, work with. And I looked at what their traits were and, and I came up with things like they seem to have a higher than normal level of capability. See, a lot of people have knowledge, like they read every book, they go to every seminar, uh, but that's just knowledge. That's only 20% of it. Once, until you actually apply that knowledge, it doesn't become capability. And we often say with some of our tools, you need to do them 40 times before you get good. A lot of people never get to that stage. So they have knowledge, but can't use it. And they're in a meeting, for example, as an advisor, and they think, I think there's a tool for that, but I can't remember it, so I won't say it, I'll just wing it, or, or worse, I'll say nothing. Mm. And they miss the opportunity. So that, that whole capability thing, and it won't come from reading books, it'll be applying the knowledge that you get from the reading the book. So that's the first one. The other one seems a little bit way up, but I, I, I've noticed in the best operators, they seem to have a trusted relationship with people. So... The easiest way to build trust is just do what you say. And obviously, it assumes that what you're doing is good. But you need to be a trusted. You need to get back to people really fast. You need to have good, insightful, clever ideas. doesn't mean you have to generate them yourself, of course. You can, I was with a coaching call last night with someone who had nine client issues, and she went through them, and I just rattled off my opinion on each of them and then wrote to her again this morning. And that's all she needs. She just wants to be competent and capable to her client and she's come to me as her coach to say well you know how can I do that and she's building up a trusted relationship and you can hear it when she talks about oh they're getting me to do this now and they've asked me to do this extra that shows there's trust there mm -hmm. so that'd be the second one the third one is um, about proactivity they don't wait they're they're on the front foot but with things anticipating their client needs um, they're anticipating what the emerging issues are they're talking to people that are of similar ilk to themselves and finding out what they're experiencing. They're not just sitting there in silos uh, thinking, well, I know best. They're actually talking to the really the other really good operators and um, and those operators will share their knowledge with people. Um, mm -hmm. You just have to look on our platform. You see them discussing it. Mm -hmm. So that that's the third one. I think that the, the fourth one would be around accountability that um, I find that it's a fine balance, but I'm probably needing to invest a bit more time to influence the accountability in my clients. And I get feedback from my trusted relationships that people appreciate it because I'm not rude about it. I'm not pushy. I'm just slightly firm, I guess, and I'm friendly about it. And and I'm suggesting ideas. I follow up. Um, example one from the other day where I've got a meeting set for a month, but I've set in my diary a reminder in two weeks to check how the progress is. I'm not going to wait to the month and then go, oh, you didn't do it? Oh, what a pity. Yeah, that's not going to work. So I'm I'm part of the accountability process, but in a non-pushy way, so I'm of value to them. And they appreciate it because they tell me that. The fifth one would be, and I think this is probably, if I looked at all of them, this is one of the key ones, which is you need to be a teacher. You've got to be able to transfer knowledge to people. So telling them without explaining what, how, why 
uh, is of no value because they'll have to keep coming back to you all the time. So you don't want to build a dependability relationship. So teach them, transfer knowledge, challenge them, as I said earlier, but with respect, encourage them because sometimes they have self-doubt and quite often they have self-doubt, in fact, um, but also be innovative in your approach because that that sets your personal brand as well. So I guess that fifth one is all about how can you teach them stuff that they would find of value and they will always remember where it came from. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not doing it to show off. I'm trying to just make it easy on myself so I don't have to keep repeating myself, show them once, maybe twice, and then they've got it. And then your job is to come up with new things to show them and teach them. Um, because you should be constantly on the move. And I think a lot of um, non-elite coaches are too reliant on what they did five, ten years ago, and they've got no idea that mm. the world has moved. Yeah, I see that. The last lot. one is, the I think, uh, also important. I won't say it's the most important, but it's probably equal to teaching, and that's the whole need to be fluent. In other words, if, if you can speak French and you only know a few words, you're not fluent. If you know advisory or consulting and you only know a few things uh, and you can't instantly um, verbalise those things, then you're not fluent. And quite often you'll see people that, they, as I indicated earlier, they know there's, a say, a tool that can fix a, a client's issue, but they're in two, two minds whether they can remember it and then they either say nothing or they fumble it and wonder why it doesn't work. And they will never blame themselves for not being fluent They'll blame, oh, that, that tool never works. You know, that, that, I don't know why people push that. It's, it's no good. Well, the fact is they're not fluent. Mm. And the good news is in the Mind Tops, Mind Shop uh, uh, facility is that we don't, if we've got 150 plus tools, you don't need to be fluent in all of them. It's probably six, seven, ten maybe, that mm. if you're fluent in those, 90% of what comes up you can fix on the spot, which is impresses them. But there's nothing wrong saying, start it, you know, do a simple mind map, force field, whatever, and then go, why don't we go away and think about it? And that gives the elite coach time to go and sort other opinions, what's current best practice, get other views, and come back to the client and say, I've been thinking about what we discussed yesterday. I've got some other ideas. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. And that, having done that a few times, after a while you do become fluent because there's a a definition of overlearning that we use in my shop that says, Forgetting is significantly reduced by frequent attempts to recall previously learned material. The reason I remember that because I probably recall it once a week. Mm-hmm. And so, but remember, you that frequent attempts to recall what you know, it's like it, it works with names, like people's names. You constantly try and remember someone's name, it, it will stick. It's the same with consulting or advisory tools. Your constant attempt to recall that tool, whether it's a force field or a one-page plan, whatever, will make it stick, so that fluency. So they're the six. Uh, They may not be the best six, but I get that watching the elite coaches, what they do and what they're good at. Yeah, Uh, I agree with all six of those. And if I had a a seventh that I'd add in, I'd I'd mention authenticity as well. The the, the best that I'm observing are are straight shooters. They're challenging, but they're doing that in their own, own unique way with their own unique nuances and playing to their strengths as well. Um, and they're happy to be authentically themselves. And uh, too many people are, are masking a lot of that up, and it does, I think, diminish one of your other factors being trust. But that that element of authenticity and their messaging and their demeanour and all those elements, I, I think it's it's owning that and being much more human in their interactions is, is really important as well. 
Yep. No, I totally agree with that authenticity and probably I would have, I could swap that for one of mine, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and just finally, interested in what you would suggest advising their clients do around overcoming self-sabotaging behaviours. It seems to be a hot topic at the moment. I know it's a topic that you're helping a lot of people with um, that seems to be an Achilles heel, whether it's for advisors or clients at the moment. So what, what would you suggest in that space? Well, I, I did find some uh, interesting IP around self-sabotage back in March, and I've, um, like all good advisors, I've used it on myself, and I think uh, with pretty good results so far, but it's early days. And and the key part is to make sure you have a positive mindset, and everyone knows that because everyone's been talking about it, but it's, again, that's a what. What I was missing was the how, and I found it in this IP that they call PQ, and it's uh, developed out of Stanford University. A guy built a really big business out of it um, already, which is amazing. Um, but it's, it's basically saying that we tend to judge ourselves uh, in a negative way, but we judge others and we often judge the situation in which, which we're in. So that those three scenarios, we often have a negative mindset and we need to, to fix that. The aim is to be not judgmental and, and almost look in the strengths and the silver linings and everything you do. Um, but there are a number of self-sabotaging traits and this um, PQ um, IP actually gives you free um, assessments you can do. One that gives you your score out of 100. And I've seen scores range from nine up to 92. And, and what a 92 means that 92% of the time you're not sabotaging, but 8% of the time you are. So the inference there is you never fully deal with this. Uh, you just got to minimize it. And anything mm -hmm. over 75, they think is fine. So you're allowed to sabotage yourself 25% of the time. But what I've learned after probably 50 to 60 people that I've really gone in depth with so far is being aware of what your own self-sabotaging traits are so mine was called hyperachiever. It just means a workaholic. And I had several others that compounded with those. And so that one was relatively easily fixed because it was almost like changing the rules of engagement. But some of them, like someone I had this morning, the number one issue was hypervigilant. And that's not one you want. It's like the blue screen of the computer uh, because that, that fills you with anxiety and you're constantly on your guard. And it, it results in your self-sabotaging behaviour being about the person that cries wolf and being a bit of an energy vampire. So you don't want that one. I don't see it a lot, but the good news is that this PQ asset gives you the how to fix it. Um, so if you can identify these self-sabotaging behaviours in yourself and then realise it's the judge that's actually telling you these negativities, you can actually start doing something about it. You just need to shut the self-talk down and the problem becomes under control. It doesn't fully go away. It also helps you identify the traits in other people as well, but you don't judge them. You just go, well, that's who they are. And with clients, what I'm saying is, no need to show me the score. Here's two assessments, one to give you a score, one to give you what your self-sabotaging traits are. If you'd like some help, I'm here, but this is more for you to know about yourself because we could come up with the best plan in the world, but if you're self-sabotaging, it ain't gonna work. Mm. So you need to be addressing that. and. I think that mindset of I'm here to help, here's a, some, a great asset and a comment someone said to me this morning uh, who'd been using it with her clients, she said, 
I haven't found it wrong yet. Mm. And I was able to say, well, I've done over 50 and I haven't found it wrong yet either. So it's very good stuff. Um, I recommend it. It's free. But buy the book. Um, the book gives you the answers. There are courses you can do as well. I happen to be week five of a six-week course myself. Um, I'm finding it very useful. But that whole self-sabotage is its probably not a lifelong journey, but to have a good look at it once and, and be aware of how you're kind of sabotaging yourself and then put largely a stop to it, see if you can get a score of 75 and above, that's fine. Just get on with life. None of us are perfect. But I, I have found it's helped me, but it's helped me when I'm looking at other people. I've changed my behaviour now. I'm far more positive. I'm more relaxed. I'm more confident. And I think I've become less judgmental. Not that I think it was a big problem, but it was something that we could fix. So that's the self-sabotage thing. And I think it's a important thing just at the moment for people that are not feeling the most confident or, or, or have got other issues in their life, which a lot of clients do. So yeah. knowing this is helpful. Oh, great, great points. Well, I think that's a, a good place to, to finish on. Uh, thanks so much for sharing your insights today, Chris. I'm sure all listening have taken away lots of great actions around either the hot issues, uh, what you need to do to be more an elite business coach or around self-sabotaging behaviours. So thanks very much for your time today. My pleasure. Anytime.